this is Tomorrow's Bite Podcast, the podcast where food is not a problem but a solution for your business, career or personal life. Stories that allow us all to get inspired, gain knowledge and grow to create a better tomorrow. And today we talk about... Yeah, I see primarily with farmers that they put their energy and their love and their care into a crop, but not the whole crop is being valued as of now. I think people are looking for a more sustainable food system uh, and I think drastical change is needed in the world. And my parents started asking like, hey, uh, are you going to make money one day or how is this working? Majority of it is just landfilled and it's pretty acidic. So why should you, the companies out there use one of your ingredients? With buying a kilo of Dutch gum, you already save 10 kilograms of coffee pulp uh, being landfilled or being discarded. But I do see climate change having an effect on the plantations. Yeah, that's absolutely something that we can clearly see. And you can complement somebody else that might have a totally different expertise. Uh, and in complementing each other, I think is the key. That whole system, I think there's, there's too less system understanding but I think there needs to be more overarching work and really system thinking. So one of the biggest challenges of a startup is to In tomorrow's bites we love two things overall. Food professionals who chase to make an impact in the world in a nice inspirational story. Rudy Dilemas, co-founder of Petkov, brings us both of them. In this conversation, he is going to tell us how do they work in the company to bring value to the food industry by using the upcycled packing of coffee. But he also shares with us the story of being an entrepreneur while still being a student, the challenges of the coffee supply chain, and whether circularity actually works in our current food system. First of all, welcome Rudy to this podcast, The Tomorrow's Bites. Um, I saw that you're a person that strongly believes in your own mission and is dedicated to this with your, with your company, with your venture. Um, I'm wondering when these personalities were formed in your life and why did they actually emerge? Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me, of course. Uh, it's a great honor to be a part of this podcast. Um, these personality traits, I think um, they stem from my family. So I come from a family of entrepreneurs, of farmers. Uh, so my dad is a farmer, my granddad was a farmer, and his dad was a farmer. Uh, so I'm I'm very mm, inclined to to work with farmers, as our biomass also comes from farmers. Um, and also, um, yeah, to really stick through. So not to disengage when uh, the years are bad, but... Uh, to keep on moving until uh, the crop can be harvested the way you want it. Is being part of a farmer's family in some way influenced the fact that for you seems to be important to create a more sustainable food system? Yes, for sure. Yeah, I see uh, primarily with farmers that they put their energy and their love and their care into a crop but not the whole crop is being valued as of now. 
So uh, if you look at, for instance, sugar beets, only the sugar that's inside has value, uh, but the fibers and the leaves and everything around it, well, the leaves, they go back to, uh, to the ground, um, but the fibers, um, yeah, they could have value as well. So I think there's an underestimation uh, of value in the crops that the farmers uh, make. And I think you, you could have also seen it in, uh, in the current political change, right? The BBB, the new party in the Netherlands that came up. And people do see the value that the farmers create. And I don't think that we as consumers value it enough. Is this something you realized already when, when you were young? In, in this podcast, a lot of times we focus, uh, if there are turning points in our youth or in our childhood that in some way shape the way uh, we are now or we think now. So in this sense, uh, did you realize of this when, already when you were growing in the farms or, or only later? Yeah, of course. I, th I think it developed over time. So when I was young, of course, I saw that my parents put a lot of energy and love and care into what they were doing and what they were growing and into the plants as well. Uh, so taking really good care of them was, was yeah their main job, of course. And then when I started studying at Wageningen University, there was more debate around the full food system and how it is actually currently um, yeah, being valued and being commercialized. So I think then the thinking developed into, okay, uh, actually this farmer makes a whole crop. Um, he's getting value for only uh, the piece out of that crop that we value as an end customer. And the rest is considered either side stream or waste. So yeah, it's leaving something out. So I think it, it really developed over time. And actually, why do you believe that people shall stay and listen to actually this conversation that we had? Uh, interesting question again. Um, I think people are looking for a more sustainable food system. Uh, and I think drastical change is needed in the world. Uh, so we can be part of that solution. So I hope that people will stay and listen and see what our vision of that future entails. Looking then now to the creation of, of Petkov, that is the, the banter you're leading, uh, can you explain the story of how you actually started with Petkov? Yes, for sure. Um, actually, Petkov was um, uh, registered at the Chamber of Commerce in 2012. But we started already with the ID in April 2011, and that was during one of the courses at Wageningen University. Um, the course was called From ID to Business Plan, and there were basically 40 students in the room that pitched their ideas, and you, get, uh, you got the chance to um, be in the top 10. So Andres Bellocasar, my Colombian co-founder, he was in the top 10. And I heard his pitch, and I was like, yeah, this is great. We have a residual side stream. We can make something from it. By then, we didn't know what we would take out of it, but at least that there's a side stream uh, available that has value uh, and we could commercialize. So I was like, okay, I jump on the bandwagon. We run this project, so actually a course at the university, and we finish it. But after finishing the course, there was more to explore. Um, so at least my cur curiosity was, um, was running. Um, so then we decided to further develop the business plan and further develop the, um, the company. Um, and of course, we had a lot of help through Startlife, the business incubator of Wageningen University. 
and they helped us further develop the business plan with which uh, we won a lot of international competitions, uh, both national and international actually. And that funded uh, the first few years of, uh, of our startup. I'm wondering, you, you, you took the step after your master's directly into the field of creating a business, right? And it's a, it's a big step. So what was the trigger that took you the, well, cur- yeah, courage and, and feeling to, to step forward in this field and make uh, the, yeah, actually a business? out of it yeah it's funny because if you if you in hindsight uh, tell about it uh, it's different than in reality so it was actually during my studies so i was still uh, finishing my masters so in the end it took me a couple of years longer to finish my actual master and get the degree because i was um, busy with petkov and in the beginning it was just a project right it's a school project that you further develop so after a year after one and a half year people start to call you entrepreneur and you're like okay uh, i'm still a student like trying to graduate here and trying to set up a business but it's still early days so it's more for me from my personal feelings more a gradual growth curve that you make and then in the end you are convinced that this company will be uh, the thing that you want to spend your time and energy on and then uh, of course you get registered to the chamber of commerce but still yeah, you're only with a couple of people that have the energy to move the project fo- forward, uh, still trying to graduate at that moment in time. So it's more of a gradual move. And then all of a sudden you have a company and you're a director. So, yeah. I'm curious, like, uh, because in the end you, you are a student when you start and Therefore, I believe that uh, it's not only maybe uh, surprising for you, but must be surprising to to your to your environment, to your parents, to to your friends. How how, how was the pitching to your parents? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good question. Well, uh, well the, the the first three four years, we of course we won a lot of competitions, so then it's positive energy all around. Um, but still, there was no paycheck. So after a couple of years, both my girlfriend at the time, now my wife. And my parents started asking, like, hey, uh, are you going to make money one day or how is this working? Um, So at that time, we found our first business angel to invest. Um, But before that, we actually had one year of no funding. Uh, So I was actually working at the local supermarket then, uh, filling the shelves, just a normal, ordinary day job, just to make some money for the rent uh, in Amsterdam at the time where I was living. Uh, and on the side, just developed the company so that it was ready for business angel investment. Um, but there was a couple of years that there was no paycheck and just energy and effort put into the company just to let it grow and further develop, um, yeah, to make it into a reality. And it's only when business angel investment, the first and the second came in that we started to pay each other uh, salaries. Um, until that time, there was just, yeah, growing a company dedication yes dedication for sure so the pitch to my parents of course was yes we're doing something with the residual side stream of other farmers uh, and they like the idea very much uh, in dutch you have the um, the word uh, pellenboer which is basically the 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 peel farmer so uh, in previous times there was always somebody um, collecting the scraps of all the potatoes for instance that you uh, were peeling uh, and they brought it to the pigs. So 
this concept of reusing side streams has been around for decades, uh, but people don't realize that it was also a job or something as part of society as we realize right now. And yeah, we bring it more to the forefront. Uh, companies like Bill Pioneers or Chaincraft or uh, Sunt with the banana bread. Um, yeah, these are now more examples moving more to the forefront and also getting more media attention so we know more about it. But it's actually been a job occupation for, for decades and decades long. And how did Pactov actually changed over the years, over the time? Yeah, so I saw a very gradual change. So we first started with three co-founders. Um, then we went to two co-founders. We bought out one of the co-founders. Um, then we went into uh, a CEO and an R&D, uh, somebody on the payroll, first hire. Uh, and then it was still technology development. So for me, it started with biomass, um, the coffee pulp that has been discarded or side-streamed. Then a lot of time on technology development actually itself. And then the last few years was really product development. And the last two years was really application development. So for me, there are four stages in the company, let's say over time. Biomass from the start, technology development with the patents with Andres. Uh, then really um, the product development uh, with the first hires and uh, the team also growing. And now the last uh, two, three years, really application development. So from a product to an end application like ice cream or chewy candies. So coffee pulp is actually a waste product that is actually a leftover product now in the coffee bean production, as you mentioned. Um, how, how did you start using coffee pulp? How, how this idea uh, appeared? Yeah, that was part of the pitch of Andres. Uh, of course, he's Colombian, so he knew from his country of origin that there was a lot of peel that was left behind at the wet mills. Again, can I make a question? Because sometimes uh, when we mean that this was a waste product, means that the peel was just thrown, like yeah, you know, discarded, correctly, completely, yeah. and yeah, okay, either landfilled or sometimes being mixed with other side streams to make a compost but that was the highest value that you can give to it there's some caffeine in the pulp so you cannot feed it to animals uh, because they start to go crazy um, and if you burn it it um, it basically has some negative effect to the steel so it corrodes the steel so you cannot also really burn it uh, it's also very wet when it comes out of the wet mill so yeah, there's not much that you can do with it. So the majority of it is just landfilled and it's pretty acidic. So it acidifies the soil uh, by acidifying the soil. It also acidifies waterways. Uh, so you have fish uh, death in the ponds and stuff like that. So it's actually an environmental concern because of um, our consuming patterns that have given rise to the, to the coffee being consumed worldwide. It is actually the site we never hear of the coffee bean production, right? I mean, this this part, it's keeping away from consumers. Yeah, we say you have a pulp side and a bean side. And the bean side is very consumer-centric, of course. But the pulp side, not a lot of people know about. So. And uh, which company you now extract out of the coffee pulp uh, a pectin and a protein complex? 
um, the protein will be used for its emulsifier properties, I understand, and the pectin for its stabilizing prop, uh, function. And um, so why should you, the companies out there use one of your ingredients, like the Dutch gum that you create out of it? Well, first of all, it's an upcycled ingredient. So with buying a kilo of Dutch gum, you already save 10 kilograms of coffee pulp uh, being landfilled or being discarded. So that's a very nice additional uh, component of the product. Uh, and our product is superior to other products out there in the market, like locust bean gum or carrageenan. Um, so it's functionally more effective. So you can save a lot on your um, ingredients in your total recipes by replacing with Dutch cup. So it's both cost and upcycling. Can you take us in the process from the start of the sourcing uh, to the development of the ingredients and how these can be valuable for many products at the end in, in that way in our plate? Yeah, so it starts with the biomass. It comes out of the wet mill. So uh, inside of a coffee cherry are two coffee beans. They just end up in our coffees or cappuccinos. Uh, the peel is left behind at the country in production. So what we do there is we dry it, we grind it, and we stabilize it. Um, and then it's packaged, it's put into a container, and then we ship it to Europe where we do the further processing. Um, during our patented process, we extract the pectin and the protein, and those together make the Dutch gum that we then spray dry, so it becomes a normal powder. And the powder is then mixed into the blend of the ingredients that you take to make an ice cream, a chewy candy, or a beverage. And, and it, like the ingredients sound promising and 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 it's certainly valuable, but I'm wondering this. Why it is already not like replacing a lot of immersifiers and stabilizers? What are like the biggest hurdles that you face in making this a complete success? So for us, it's it's two-sided. So on the one side, you need to scale up the technology. And on the other side, you have regulatory barriers. So since the coffee pulp has not been eaten in the European Union, uh, we have to go through a food additive a regulatory trajectory with the European Food and Safety Authority. And that's, of course, the check for the safety of the EU consumers. Um, so that's that's one really big hurdle for us uh, within the EU. We've already filed the dossier beginning of 2022. So we're still going through the process and it will take another half year to a year before we actually get an opinion. Uh, so it's, it's a really long and um, cost intensive uh, trajectory because you need to show with all kinds of analysis and data that your product is safe. Of course, we know that it's safe because we have done all the analysis, but you have to convince the scientists at the European Food and Safety Authority um, that your product is actually safe. So that's a, that's a real big hurdle for us. Uh, in the US, the trajectory goes a little bit faster. Uh, so there you have a self-affirmed grass status. Um, and GRAS stands for Generally Recognized as Safe. Um, and in that trajectory, you have three experts from the industry looking at your dossier, and they can already approve for the, the first small volumes of product that you can put to the market. 
So we expect that approval by the end of this year and um, European approval by the end of next year. So that's that's a big one. And scaling the technology, of course, is another one. So the really big ingredient suppliers, they say, okay, you only become interesting if you can produce five to 10 tons of product per year. Uh, we're currently at the tens of kilograms. Next year, we're moving into the hundreds of kilograms. So before you get to the ton size, uh, it's actually quite some investment, but also some knowledge to be built. And I can guess that other of the challenges that maybe you have sometimes to face must be quality, because in the end, the the, the streams of coffee pulp are not consistent. So how do you in that way achieve consistency in the product quality that you deliver from different batches of coffee pulp? Yeah, so the nice thing about pectins and proteins are that they are um, essential parts of the structure of the coffee pulp. Um, we only use the Arabica species and we only use the pulp that comes from the wet mills. And by doing so, we have the same chemical structure of the crop itself. Uh, so we can extract the same compounds from uh, this natural biomass. Of course, there are natural variations. It's uh, it's a natural crop, uh, but those we can uh, underpin with our technology so we can do a longer extraction or a shorter extraction to really get the components out of there uh, that we need in our product. So you already mentioned the hurdles that you're currently facing um, are the, the biggest ones, but along the way, till this point, you also faced a lot of challenges. Um, what are the challenges that actually take up your mind, like your biggest challenges that you faced and how did you overcome them? Uh, so one of the biggest challenges of a startup is to secure funding. So in the early stages, it's it's a relatively small amount of funding because you're only funding for your traveling costs or for other costs, not really salaries. But um, as soon as you start to pay out salaries, it's also funding for the team, um, funding for the growth of the company, funding of the production runs that you need to run until you get to a decent size for a customer to say, okay, you start to become interesting. Um, so securing funding is uh, 50% of the time of an entrepreneur. Uh, so that's really one of the biggest hurdles that we see also in the Netherlands where the investment climate is. Um, this year uh, has been a lot more negative than last year. Um, so you, yeah, you just have less access to capital um, and there's less risk taking behavior from the investment side. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one of the big challenges. How we solve it is by telling the story and by showing the people what kind of impact they can have on the, on the world and on the coffee supply chain by investing in the company and letting it grow. So now moving more into matters that are around the business that that Petkov is in, as an ingredient supplier, I, I am really curious, what is your view on the clean label trends? People uh, that are is looking for labels without e-numbers or, or, or similar, because these are hard to understand. No? And I always think that this trend, it has more as it's a trend of commodity for the for the consumer than actually a, a trend that looks practicality in the, in the food industry. What, what is your thought about the clean label? Mm, yeah, there are different sides to the clean label story, of course. 
So one of them is, of course, I see it as well. If you look at the first uh, meat alternatives that were out there, they had about uh, 35 ingredients on the list, which was quite shocking. Uh, so I think if if you mean with clean labeling less ingredients on your ingredient list, if you look at the meat alternative, makes perfect sense to me. Um, I think on the e-number side, uh, consumers have um, have to be educated a little bit more, um, especially the e-numbers, like all the ingredients that get an e-number are very, very thoroughly researched. And we go through the process right now. So we actually know to which kind of safety margins you need to go before you can enter the European market. So I think it's very, very safe for all the ingredients that actually have an e-number and it should give value to an ingredient and not uh, be regarded as a negative aspect, I think. Um, so yeah, there, there's more sides to it. If you mean clean label, less ingredients on the list, I perfectly agree with. If you mean clean label, cutting out e all e-numbers, I think it's not practical and it's also um, yeah, what replaces that e-number? Is it then actually safe? Because all those e-numbers have been checked on safety. Yeah, I, I actually want to come back to, to one of, like talking about challenges. It's like, it came up. It's like another challenge that may arise due to climate change um, is that we will face a, sh a coffee shortage in the future. And I'm wondering, what is your company's vision on this? And how would you face this challenge? So for us, it's it's less of a problem, let's say, uh, because if we would build a commercial line for the production of Dutch gum, we would use 0.06% of all the worldwide available uh, coffee pulp biomass. So that's only a very, very small percentage of the total production. So even if it diminishes with uh, 10 times less coffee production, we still have a very viable business plan for the side stream of that production. Um, but I do see climate change having an effect on the plantations. Yeah, that's absolutely something that we can clearly see. And I think the general consensus now is that every degree of hiring temperature in the future means uh, 100 meter higher that the plantations have to be. And you have to imagine these plantations are on mountain sides. So there's no infinite number of meters that you can go up because then you're at the top of the mountain. So I do see that there will be uh, less area for coffee production. And I also think the prices will go up as a consequence um, because the demand for coffee is not really going down. Another aspect of the coffee business is that a lot of times it's pointed out as maybe not the most ethical food business out there with very unfair payments for the farmers. As a company, Pekov, uh, yeah, what is your view in this? Uh, how do you try to work around the fair trade? Uh... Yeah, I fully understand your question and I subscribe to it for sure. Uh, there's, there's, really poor payment indeed of the farmers. And that's why we say we can uh, valorize another part of the crop that you're actually um, harvesting and making uh, and growing um, because we pay for the pulp that's actually converted into uh, dried and grinded and stabilized pulp. So we pay per kilogram of pulp that we actually uh, get to transport to Europe. So the farmer gets additional income. 
So depending on the price of the coffee, because it's yeah, it's very different around the world, but it's about uh, 20% additional income that the farmer can get from the same crop with only drying and stabilizing his side stream. Also, like you're working and a lot of companies are working for a better sustainable future. And as we also see is like sustainability is not mostly the, the biggest like key point in consumer decisions, right? Still, if they go for to the supermarket, they mostly choose on price and sustainability might be in a particular niche group there uh, a fair point to, to take, but still by the average, by the bigger group of consumers, it's not there. And I'm wondering, like from your standpoint, what are essentials that we or like the average consumer need to become more aware of if we want to create a more sustainable future? That's almost a philosophical question, um, but I'll try to answer. Uh, so I, th I think it's more of a nudge that needs to happen at the consumer side. Uh, so with our ingredient as well, we have a, a lower cost price of the total recipe. Um, and with that lower cost price comes also additional sustainability. So I think it's more uh, a move from the industry to scale these initiatives that actually have alternatives for the current uh, let's say unsustainable ingredients or unsustainable uh, practices uh, to really give them a boost and to scale them and give them a chance in the total picture um, to get that ultimate consumer product at a good price with additional uh, sustainability benefit uh, without hurting the total price of the product. So I think it's, it's something that the industry should... Um, yeah, should allocate to and should give a chance to these startups and scale-ups to actually become a reality and become part of the formulations of the future. I have a concern regarding circularity that I would like to share. Shako really knows how uh, much I like to do reflections and, and just uh, <laughs> eat my head around certain topics. And when I was thinking about this interview, I was thinking that that one topic I would like to share is that circularity itself, uh, it's really nice because in the end we are using you know, waste in order to incorporate them again in the food system and in this ways we ensure the less waste possible. However, in some way, this circularity is also linked to a higher consumption. Uh, so if you are using... I don't know, the, the pumpkin seeds in order to create a product, you need, like, your your company will grow if all the pumpkin consumption grows more because there will be more food waste and then you will be, you will have more material available. No, that is the, that, that, that is a little bit the, the point. And in then what I wonder if, and that could be my question to you is, is circularity enough to achieve a more sustainable food system or are other things that need to be considered in order, like it's not enough with only circularity? Yeah, I think it's two-sided. So on one side, indeed, um, with total circularity, I think nature has shown us that it's possible. So with uh, before the humans were on the planet, there was only uh, plants and animals. Uh, and that whole system was circular. 
uh, and it worked for 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 centuries and centuries. So I think nature has shown us that it's possible. But I think our current consumption patterns are just too exponentially high and too demanding uh, on the world that's around us. So I think it's it is possible and I think circularity is part of the solution. But I think on the other hand, also our consumption patterns and our need and our, yeah, also desire for more and um, more, yeah, foods, more stuff, more variations of food uh, is, yeah, needs to be halted somewhere and needs to be actually diminished uh, in order to have a circular system. So if this only grows, if the variations grow, if the need grows, then we're not going to make it with only circularity. I completely agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that you hit the point in the end that circularity is a really nice concept when you put it in a control system. No, like if, if the circularity is controlled, then we're we might achieve this balance, and therefore uh, it's proven that uh, we can make use of the waste. But if it's uncontrolled, like if if the circularity is incorporated to a system of overconsumption, then it just becomes another part of creation of, of uh, yeah, residues and, and yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's it's it needs to be controlled somehow, uh, either through uh, consumption patterns or either through the government cutting down on on the excesses of our food system. Um, or just through the people, through society that really demands uh, a more um, eco-friendly or more world environmentally friendly uh, vision. Uh, and I think you, we've already seen it uh, through the public um, that there is major concern for the environment and sustainability is moving up the ladder of important topics to be discussed also by the world leaders. So I think there's from all sides there's there's a push towards having it more controlled. And um, now you're like more than twelve years into this field as an entrepreneur leading leading your business. This is a more personal question, but how is the journey so far? How do you experience it? To me, it's great. I wouldn't change it for the world. Like I've twelve years of experience of knowledge gaining, of growth, um, both personally and also uh, business-wise. So for me, it's just one big learning trip uh, to come from being a student with having an idea, joining another student which has an idea into having a company, having people on the payroll, uh, growing the company. And it's my ultimate goal to really uh, have a factory working, um, to see the biomass side coming in, to have the technology working uh, as we want it to work, to have the end product coming out and being applied in the consumer products. That's really my dream, to see the whole value chain that we have already created and that I've seen on a small scale to make it happen on a big scale and to really have impact uh, on the world at large. Going back to the beginning of your journey and the big challenges that you mentioned, I believe that there's an important experience that you can share and I believe that it can be really insightful for the listeners, maybe in the form of an advice. What are the key points of trying to ensure your first funding when it comes maybe with angel investors? Uh, how do you find 
the good investor or or how do you pitch it? What are your key points in this sense? Yeah, my key points, when first advice that I always give if I do university talks or high general education talks is it doesn't have to be your own idea. That's a very, very valuable one because most people think that a company should be their own idea, but you can join somebody else's idea as well. And you can complement somebody else that might have a totally different expertise. Uh, and in complementing each other, I think is the key to success for a company. So that's one. Um, two, as an advice uh, on the financing part, I think in the early stages of a company in the Netherlands is actually the most fantastic ecosystem that I've seen evolving in the last 10 years. If you see where Start Life started, the way um, from the time that I knocked on their door with two people in the university building, to now having an investor base, uh, a preferred supplier base, a whole team of people uh, coaching startups uh, in the early stages is really an amazing environment to be in. So the early stages, I'm not that worried about. It's the scale-up phase that I'm really, really worried about. And also from a European perspective, we see that a lot of startups uh, can grow really fast. But then comes the value of that in scaling that actual technology. And by scaling, I also mean really making an impact. So going into tons or even thousands of tons of, of product being produced. That is the real uh, concern uh, that I see out there. Uh, so to give you an example, I'm currently part of the Circular Factory program. Uh, and there's now about eight Circular Factories in the Netherlands. And we want to get to 20 Circular Factories. Uh, by the end of uh, 2030. Uh, but it's a real challenge for all of these companies, which are already scale-ups, to have the funding to actually put a demonstration factory uh, in Europe. So I think in the first stages, you can find the business angels. There are so many business angel networks out there. If you network with people, um, you will definitely find a business angel or early stage investor. That's no problem. But Series A and Series B, to really get a factory uh, working or a business model scaled, that's where the challenge lies. May I ask you, like, why why do you think that this is such a big challenge, that scaling part or getting the funding for that? Well, if you if you see the environment and the networks that we are related to, you can see there's over 100 accelerators in the Netherlands and there's only two programs that support scale-ups. So already in the numbers, you see there's a tremendous difference between first stages of the company and then later stages of the company. So I think there's there's just a mismatch of mm, coming from an idea to a business instead of growing a business from being small to being uh, yeah a, a large company. Building a startup and pursuing the path can be really demanding what is the most rewarding part of of this good question uh what is the most rewarding part of the journey well i i feel like all the learnings that i've done so far wouldn't have been possible if i would just have taken a regular job or a traineeship at the company um, so to really build out your own idea your own dream uh, and to work towards that end goal of really making impact uh, really gives uh, fulfillment 
at least in my life and in my position. And I also know for the team, it gives them fulfillment to really reach those goals uh, in the future and to make an impact. So I think it's it's both learnings and fulfillment that uh, excites me to go on. And can you actually share some personal success stories along the way? Yeah, for sure. Every round of financing that we close is, is a big hurrah moment, uh, for sure. Uh, because then you know that you are safe for another couple of months or a year or one and a half year or two years. Uh, so those are the moments that you really can uh, reap the benefits of all the work you've put into it. Um, but also on the biomass side. So if I can buy a new container with biomass and I know those farmers will benefit from uh, selling a part of their crop, I know that I'm making impact. So those are the, the success moments that you, yeah, that you can see where the business model works. And if you look at other companies, like similar companies in this field, right? Like uh, comparable ones. What are, in your view, if you look at them, the biggest mistakes were starting starting a business, right? From from creating uh, something from Wageningen as an idea to eventually a venture, and and they fail probably. Um, what do you see in them as one of the biggest failures, or don't you ha- don't you really? look at others oh yeah of course yeah <laughs> i interact a lot with others i love to help people in their journey uh, from startup to scale up for sure um so what i see biggest big pitfall is people it's actually communication within the uh, within the shareholders team within the team itself um uh, change of vision so some uh, people in the team might have a completely different vision and you're working towards two different goals so the team grows apart um, or shareholder misalignment also happens. Like there's one shareholder that's in it for the long run. The other shareholder is in there for the financial gain. So it also drifts apart. So I've, yeah, I've seen a lot of great ideas actually struggle to make it uh, because of the, the people involved got into a conflict or into misalignment between them, uh, which I think is, is a great pity. Um, because a lot of these ideas, I would have loved to see them really grow and make impact. Um, but yeah, in the end, we're all people, so um, problems arise. That's that's just the way it is. Then looking to the future, think about the years to come. What is one big goal you would really like to achieve, even if others think that is crazy? Yeah, if others think it's crazy, it's, it's definitely building a factory, of course. So <laughs> building a complete factory that that makes the end product uh, from this residual side stream is, is one of my biggest goals, has been since the beginning, uh, to see it at a certain scale. So for me, it's all about scaling it to a certain size where you can show, okay, we're an industry player. We're respected by the industry, both on the biomass side, on the technology side, and on the product side. And our product has really functional benefits towards other products so that it can be applied in consumer products. Uh, the day that I find a product in the supermarket with Dutch gum inside is, is probably one of the greatest days in my life. So I'm really looking forward to that moment in time. I've seen all our, our application work. So I've seen all the end products with Dutch gum already, of course, in the lab and in the pilot. But on a commercial scale is, of course, something different. So... 
if I walk into a supermarket one day and I find a product that has my ingredient uh, applied, then I would be very, very happy. Yeah. Now, and what initiatives or innovations got your attention in driving positive changes? You already said you, you're looking at others, so... Yeah, so all the people, of course, in the Circular Factory, I support a lot. Um, they mostly make use of side streams to make an end product, which I also support. So uh, the Upcycled Association, for instance, is also a great example of all kinds of companies that use uh, side streams to make upcycled ingredients. Um, and fermentation is now one of the big hot topics uh, in the industry that I can see. Uh, of course, making use of nature again uh, with uh, enzymes or with yeast is, I think, a great way uh, to do biomimicry uh, and to see what nature has perfected over all these years and to take it and to apply it to, to a side stream is, is amazing to me. It's almost magical. And is there one message that we of like one thing that we didn't really talk about during this conversation, but you would really like to discuss before we go to the end of this podcast? Mm, no, I think the repetition of a message is always good. So I, I would say again, like it doesn't have to be your own idea. If you pick up an idea somewhere, it doesn't matter where, and you think, wow, this is something that I want to be part of, please go for it. Just Put your energy and effort towards it. Uh, everything that you give attention will grow. Uh, it's the same in nature as the trees. If you give it attention, it will grow. Uh, it's the same with the crops of the farmers as well. Um, so it doesn't have to be your own idea. So if you if you walk into somebody who has a great initiative or something that you really feel like uh, you can be a part of and make it grow, then go for it, really. Don't hesitate. Well, then it's a tradition in this podcast that the previous guest leaves a question to the next guest. I hope that you enjoyed the previous philosophical question because our previous guest also left quite kind of a philosophical, still down to earth, I would say, uh, question. So in his point of view, there is simply um, everything, is something that we all agree that is a lot that we don't know, no, a lot that we don't know about the universe and especially in the food industry. So there's a question that we haven't figured out yet and an answered question uh, in the food industry that aspires some sense of wonder in you. Like, I, I would love to understand how this thing that we don't understand yet, how this works. Yes, there is. <laughs> and I've actually been, it's its an idea that I have for a couple of years already. I pitched it a couple of times, but it hasn't gained traction yet. So I really want to do, uh, understand the complete system. And with the complete system, I mean, you have a soil, you have a plant, you have a fruit, and then from the fruit comes the peel that we use as, as a biomass. So I want to understand that whole system. How does the soil interact with the plant? How does the plant interact with the, uh, with the fruit? And how does the fruit eventually make it to something that is valuable? So that whole system, I think there's, there's two less system understanding. 
as of yet. I think there's a lot of people that are really good at their specific niche or specific uh, topic. But I think there needs to be more overarching work and really system thinking. Um, there's work to be done, I think. So combining networks, combining thinking, combining um, yeah, combining topics, combining thought leadership, to me, uh, needs to be done uh, for us to be better for this world. Trying to see like the bigger picture, no? Like, yes. uh, sorry, like uh, there's a lot of people working, taking all the pieces from one side, but like, how does it look the puzzle when you're trying to complete it? No. Yes. Yes. That's and that's an interesting concept. Yeah. Yes, but that's of course very, very complex because every single sector, so the soil, the plant, and the fruit already is complex. So combining them makes it additionally complex. But that to me is is super interesting in itself. That's the essence of 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 nature of of life on earth like it's a extremely complex process so the more we understand it the better we can also use it to make the world better and then there is also a very like a really hard question always coming back in this podcast and um that is really what is your favorite food or dish <laughs> very very good question um, what is my favorite food or dish? Hmm. I nowadays really enjoy the um, vegetable, v- vegetarian version of the bitballen. So the Oosterswam uh, bitballen. I really, really enjoy. So it's, it's also working with, with um, a product that can be grown on the coffee grounds that you have at home. Um, so yeah, I think it's that's that's a great great product, and it gives a lot of texture uh, to the product, and it's an alternative meat alternative. So I really enjoy those. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was uh, talking yesterday about these uh, homegrown, uh, well, that you can uh, homegrown your own uh, mushrooms in that sense, like oosterzwam, like the oyster mushrooms. Yeah, I I think there's there's place for, it, but maybe not yet uh, for the for the bigger group. But I believe there there will be in the future. Yeah, they need to scale as well. Uh, with scale comes comes price reduction, and with price reduction comes commoditization of uh, of a good. So being available to everyone. And really, thanks a lot for coming to the podcast, sharing your journey from the beginning, sharing. Uh, what you're doing with Petkov and as well uh, the challenges that you are facing and also for answering questions related to the business and giving your opinion. I think that in the end, it's also really valuable that we hear the the voices within the food industry giving their opinions because that's how we create the conversation and we have to try to look for solutions. So thanks again for your time and we enjoyed a lot this conversation. Hope it's the same for you. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Thanks for having me, guys. It was, uh, was a really good conversation. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.